Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Yep, hiking here on Amazing Business Radio, and I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about all things customer service and customer experience. Our guest later on that we're going to be interviewing is Annette Franz, and she is a customer and client experience expert, probably best known in the industry for her journey mapping. But today, we're not only going to talk about journey mapping, we're also going to ask her about what she refers to as the, are you ready for this, the seven deadly sins of customer experience, what companies are doing or actually aren't doing and what they should be doing to avoid these sins or these mistakes. But before we get into that, I want to talk about something that I've been thinking about. I read Jay Bear's book. Actually, I read it more than once. And if you haven't read Hug Your Haters, you need to go out and buy it. Uh, Jay talks about uh, hugging the people that give you negative reviews or complain. And what he means is embracing the negative complaint and doing something about it because it helps you. Number one, it helps you become uh, better because you learn to avoid what people are complaining about if you actually listen clearly to what your customers are saying about you and decide to act upon it. And number two, when you fix the problem, you create evangelists, uh, people that will go out and share your good Uh, work and how you turn the problem around. Because here, in my mind, is one of the most important things. You don't just fix problems. You fix customers. And what I mean by that is you fix the customer's attitude. They come in, they're upset with you, they're angry, you turn it around, and you not just make them happy, you restore confidence. And if you do it right, if you take care of that complainer the right way, then you will actually create a confidence level that's higher than if the problem had never happened at all. So really quick, a couple of thoughts on negative reviews. First of all, nobody and no company is perfect. And it's not a matter of if you're ever going to have a customer complain. It's when it's going to happen. Something's going to fail. It may or may not be something in your control, but you're going to hear about it. And that is your chance to step up and be amazing. Now, today, customers have a voice that's louder than ever before. They socialize their comments. They socialize uh, actually positive and negative comments. But when they shout out to the rest of the world about their disappointment about you and what you did, you need to take action. And this could happen on a review site like a Yelp if you're in that type of business. But, you know, no business is immune to review sites because industries, B2B and B2C, have their own review sites. In addition to that, people turn to the typical social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and and any others. And Twitter has really stepped up, and I know I've talked about this on other shows, and they've actually, and we actually had Jeff Lesser from Twitter uh, on one of our shows, uh, actually stepped up, Twitter has, and created tools for businesses to use to actually make Twitter not just a place where people go to haphazardly or I think I'll go on Twitter. No, but they actually want to make Twitter a purposeful customer service channel. All right, so uh, I'm going to make an assumption that anybody listening to this show is probably already in tune with what they think is great service and is probably pretty good at what they do, so they're not getting many negative reviews. And I know that's a big assumption, but I have to assume that if you're taking the time to read the articles, listen to the show, watch my videos, you're focused on creating a positive customer experience. So if you get a negative review that's posted – 
good companies respond with an apology and attempt to fix the problem. And as I mentioned, Jay Bear's book, Hug Your Haters, he says that online reviews make customer service a spectator sport. So somebody watching can see a company come in. They can see how quickly they come in. And by the way, speed is very, very important. How quickly they come in and how they say, hey, we're going to take care of this or we apologize. They go off to a direct channel or maybe to another channel like the phone. You don't want to move somebody from one social channel to another social channel, but moving them from the social channel to a direct message channel or to within the social channel or to the phone, that's another story. Moving to the phone, you fix the problem, you come back on, you thank the customer for the opportunity to resolve the problem, and in the perfect world, the customer come back, comes back and thanks you. And it makes you look good. It shows that you care. And then the other thing I want to mention about uh, embracing the negative review is that sometimes the negative review is not so bad. Again, nobody's perfect. As a matter of fact, there was a study done. Um, let's see, Tom Ryan, who wrote for Retail Wire, shared some thoughts about a Northwestern University study. And on the typical scale of one to five, you know, five star ratings. Well, obviously, five stars are better than three stars or two stars. Uh, the, here's where it gets really interesting. The likelihood of a customer who looks at the reviews and sees a lot of five stars obviously is going to increase. But here is the most interesting part. The increase peaks when the score is not perfect, but it's actually an average of between 4.2 and 4.5. In other words, perfection may look a little too good. Showing a little imperfection, and most importantly in my mind, showing how you handle that imperfection, well, I think that's what makes it really work for the customer who feels very comfortable. We're dealing with the company. Most of the reviews are great. Hey, and when they're not perfect, look how they come in and manage that experience. So those are my thoughts on embracing negative reviews. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to be talking with the Nut Fronts. You have been listening to Amazing Business Radio. We're going to take a really short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Doesn't everyone love Disney? I know I do. And I also love a great book. And Lessons from the Mouse by Dennis Snow is an excellent book. Dennis shares 10 practical principles from Disney and entertains as he educates. So check out Dennis Snow's book on Amazon.com. Once again, it's titled Lessons from the Mouse, a guide for applying Disney World's secrets of success to your organization, your career, and your life. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken, you're back, and I promised you a great interview today, and today we have Annette Franz in the house. She is the VP of Client Experience at Compellin, and very briefly, to tell you what they do, they are a predictive analytics software company that helps their clients take the uh, data that they have and use it to better market and serve their customers. I know her from all of the many positions she's held in many different companies and the companies she's worked with. Uh, for example, I love this title. She was the customer, uh, of director of customer outcomes for Fidelity Investment. Investment. That's a pretty cool title. And uh, she's also the author of an amazing blog called the CX which is Customer Experience Journey, CX Journey. And uh, look for that. Google it. I suggest you subscribe to it. Annette, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Good morning, Chef. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
And I, it is, it I, is definitely morning for you because you're two hours earlier than me. Yes, yes. But that's okay. That's okay. It's like I said, it's a Friday morning, so we're uh, pretty excited about that, that we made it through the week. Yeah, well, it's going to be a great weekend, too. So we've got so much to talk about. You've got a, an let's incredible background. And, you know, first, let's let's get into your big topic, CX, customer experience. How do you define yep. customer experience? So that's a really good question because a lot of people don't really understand what this topic is all about, right? And a lot of people think that customer experience is customer service or customer service is customer experience. Used to be. Customer service. It, yeah, yeah, it used to be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, customer service is one component of customer experience. We typically think about customer experience as sort of that umbrella term, and it's really the sum of all of the interactions that a customer has with a company, um, and not just the, the interactions themselves, but also how the customer feels and you know their perceptions about the brand over the life of that relationship that they have with, with the company. So, so again, customer service is one piece of that, but it's an important piece as well. Yeah, and you know, when you think about the experience, people don't realize design packaging. How, does, how do you receive a package in the mail? How do you receive a box and open it up and there's the product? And you go, wow, all of a sudden you get a good feeling. Um, I work with an investment company. I know some of your background is with Fidelity. And when they sent me their prospectus, I went, wow. I I either, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to invest with this company because they spend so much money making their prospectus look this good, or maybe they're that good that it's an expectation. But the bottom line is the experience is everything you feel. It's not just people to people interaction. And it could be everything from design to, you know, just even when you walk into a store, if you're doing a retail, how does it smell? How does it look? Everything. Exactly. And it's it's every touch. And and people don't also don't realize that the experience starts long before somebody becomes a customer, right? You know, it starts back when that customer first has this need for something, right? And, and all the way through the entire life cycle, but it starts before they even actually become a customer. In my, in my new role, I actually, I'm in the process of hiring um, a a business development rep. So somebody who's going to be, you know, cold calling and prospecting. And as it seems odd that that position would report to the VP of client experience, but my focus is on making sure that that very first touch that we have with folks is, is a great experience because I want them to have a great experience with the company and, and want to want to, you know, become a customer. So I don't think it's odd that anybody would report to the VP of client or customer experience because I think uh, they I think experience needs to have its its hands in everything and yep. the truly customer focused companies will take a look at everything they do every part of the process every decision that they make and decide how does this impact the customer? And it could be a price increase or it could be a new accounting system or yeah. perhaps something in the warehouse. Uh, it doesn't matter. But how is it going to impact the customer? And I always love – this is important to say. I don't think that every decision has to impact the customer positively, but you need to make the decision if you want to do it even though you know how it will impact the customer. I think that's the key. How does it impact the customer? And then you know, then you can mitigate whatever whatever that um, whatever that outcome is. So, no, absolutely. Well said. Well said. Well, well, thanks. All right. So, you love to talk and write about the seven deadly sins of customer experience. <laughs> I want to know about that, and you know how you came up with these, and and let's talk about all seven of them if we have time. All right. 
That sounds good. I hope we have time to get through through them. Yeah, they are, you know, they are an important, they are, I guess, an important foundation for what you just said, making sure that the organization is um, ready to deliver the great experience to their customers that customers are expecting. So, you know, the, where did they come from? I've worked in this space for 25 years, and I'm not that old. Okay, so here's what I want everybody listening to do, okay? All right, CX Journey. What's the, how do you get to your blog? It's, um, it's www.cx-journey.com. cx-journey.com. You look at the picture of Annette, and you tell me if she's been doing this for 25 years. I think I've turned five shades of red just now, <laughs> and we're not even sitting in front of each other, so <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And no, that picture is not from 10 years ago either. So. Oh, I know. I know, because I, I not long ago, I was out in Los Angeles, and you and I connected in person for the very yep. first time. We had a nice little hangout there, and, and I can attest that the picture is not false advertising. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I once had a, a, pre- a couple of years ago, president of a company I was working for introduce me, and he hadn't read my bio, and he goes, oh, she started when she was four. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Okay, so so thank enough you. of the flattery, even though it's all true yeah, and well-deserved. Let's get thank into these you. seven deadly – oh, wait, I want to say okay. it right. Seven deadly sins. Ooh, Ooh. Like we need to have some fire crackling around the. <laughs> All right, let's do it. And they're no, these are in you know no particular order except for the very first one that I'll mention, and that one is trying to do this, and this being you know transform your culture, transform the organization, transform the customer experience. Trying to do it without executive commitment, um, that is a huge problem because. You know, and I've seen this over the years, right? I've seen, you know, one department over here, one department over there trying to, you know, fix the issues. And a lot of it is just tactical kinds of things. But we need the entire organization um, involved. We need the executive. We need the CEO is who I'm speaking about. We need the CEO to say, yes, this is an important component in our business. We think about the customer in everything that we do. The customer is our top priority. If we don't have that kind of a commitment, we won't get the resources that we need, and we won't get the cross-functional, uh, organization-wide focus on you know, this transformation. So, Annette, uh, I worked with a company once where the CEO, actually, there were two owners, uh, and they were willing to put all the resources behind it. But that's okay. all they were willing to do. That was as far as their yeah. commitment would go. Yeah. Uh, they said, we need to do this. Here's the money. Get the training. Go out. Get the studies. Hire the consultants. And, and this is the truth. I asked when we had our first meeting with this client, where is the, your partner? Well, uh, he's not. I mean, this was really my idea. I go, wait a minute. So you two aren't in, in alignment. And uh-huh. basically, we're not getting buy-in from both guys at the top. I said, I'm happy to take your money, but this is going to fail. And that was our yeah. last meeting. We didn't want to work with them anymore. Oh, wow. And they, by the way, the one guy figured it out. And he said, I will call you when we are in alignment. And it was over. Bummer for me. But uh-huh. it was the right thing to do. But isn't that the way it works sometimes where the, if the executive is. doesn't – if they're not – the CEO, leader, uh, the president, uh, the owner – uh, if they're not behind it, it's not going to work. 
Yep. And it can't be, you know, to your point, it can't just be lip service. It can't just be, you know, here's the money, go do it. I mean, you know, as you're talking, the person that jumps into my head is, you know, Jeff Bezos with Amazon, you know, right? They're, they're customer obsessed. He's out there talking about it. He's out there doing it. He's, you know, so that's the type of leader that um, needs to be in the organization. And he needs to make sure that his entire executive staff is on board as well. Amen. All right. Number two of the seven deadly sins. Number two is not having a customer experience vision and strategy. So your customer experience vision is really um, an aspirational statement of what the experience is that you want the organization to deliver. Can you give and me an the example? Strategy is, um, let's see. That's a good question. I don't have one top of mind. Um, I think probably, you know, just following on on the Amazon uh, example, you know, that they're, you know, we're a customer access obsessed organization, right? I don't know the exact, the, the full um, statement there. Um, but I think that's probably a, a great example. And then the strategy comes up behind that and says, um, um, here's, uh, here's how we're going to do that, right? Um, and yeah, I, I, I should just quickly Google and see what the full statement is there and what uh, how he lays out what the experience is. Well, I mean, ba- basically, there, customer, there's but... a vision is what you're saying. Lexus, for yep. example, has their covenant. And uh, I recently worked with Lexus, and I was with a new employee, and I go, so do you love working here? I absolutely love it. I said, can you recite the covenant? And it's not mm-hmm. very long. It's it's uh, yeah. it's almost like a poem. It's not a poem, but it's it's written like that where there's – uh, you know, step by step. And then you've got, and, and I know the people who listen to our show, here's this over and over, Ritz Carlton, nine words, we're ladies and gentlemen yep. serving ladies and gentlemen. You there know? you go. Yeah. There you go. And so you have some of these companies that have come up with one-sentence visions. And then, to your point, you create the strategy. You can't just say, okay, everybody, we're going to be now customer-focused. Let's go out there and be nice. Here's what people are going to say. Okay, what do you want me to do next? Yep. Right? Yep. Exactly. So, so the other thing about the corp- the customer experience vision is it needs to really be in alignment with the corporate vision too, right? They there really should be no reason for them to pe- be completely separate. So, I actually just found Amazon's while we were while while you're doing that. So, theirs is, and it may be this is maybe from a couple of years ago, so it may have changed. But to be Earth's most customer centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Love it. Love it. All right. So when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about three, four, five, six, and seven. We're going to get them all in. I promise you that. We better talk fast. (laughs) We will. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Shep Hyken. We've been talking with Annette Primes, who is a customer experience expert. Don't go away. Shep Hyken here. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepard Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24 7 365 days a year just go to www.shepondemand.com once again that's shepondemand.com and remember always be amazing this is amazing business radio with shep hyken and we're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Annette Franz about the seven deadly sins of customer experience. And we are number three. Roll. What is it? All right. I'll, I'll just dive right in. Number yeah. three is 
around governance structure. So governance structure is an important piece. So we talked about having the executive commitment and the entire um, e-staff involved. The governance structure incorporates those folks, but it comes down a few levels as well, and it's uh, two things. One of them is it's the, a core team of folks who are responsible for making sure that the strategy gets implemented in a, in a nutshell. That's, that's who those folks are. And the other component of a governance structure is um, sort of the rules and guidelines about how that um, CX strategy is going to be executed. Who's going to do it? How is it going to be done? How are we going to listen to our customers? Um, how will we use feedback, you know, all of those kind of little things that need to be spelled out so people know what their marching orders are and how it's going to get done. So it, three uh, is failing to create this governance structure. And, and I'm, I, you yep. know, I think people struggle with the word governance, but I think what you're basically saying is that you take the strategy to the level of, of a plan uh, where right. it's a detailed uh, who's involved, where the boundaries yep. are, that type of thing. That's exactly right. Great. Yep. And uh, so that brings us to number four. I don't want to leave one out. All right. Number four is not understanding and listening to your customers. Um, there's a couple of different components to this. So I, I like to say you can't transform something you don't understand, right? And so understanding the customer and the experience they expect and the experience they go through, we can't do that without um, doing a couple of different things. One of them is listening to them. So we know that a lot of um, a lot of companies are, you know, surveying their customers at, you know, point of sale, after a support call, you know, it, pretty much anywhere you go, Shep, you've probably <laughs> been surveyed about it, right? So that's good news. And we'll, I'm not going to jump ahead and get into the fifth sin here because I could do that. So that's the first thing that we need to do to understand our customers. Um, the second thing that we need to do is we need to really um, do our research about who these customers are. And I, I call this one characterize. So listen, characterize, and then the third one is empathize. So characterize is really about creating those personas um, so that we can talk to our uh, employees about who our customers are in a, in a way that they'll understand, humanize um, the customer, I guess. And a great example of a, a persona is um, Big Lots, a couple of years ago, created this persona called Jennifer, and their CEO was on, on this topic. Uh, you know, he was on it. He did his um, uh, uh, interview with uh, analysts and he mentioned her I believe it was like 25 times during during that call and big lots and is the grocery it, store chain it's the yeah it's the not it's not a grocery store it's a discount um, you know they get odd lots and things uh, like okay, that and it, over it, right. yeah okay yeah so he you know during that call used that persona to help both analysts and then he uses it internally as well to help employees understand who the ideal customer is, who who is our customer, who is she, how does she shop, why does she shop here, you know, those kinds of things to really help um, people understand who customers are. And then the third one is empathize. And by empathize, I mean walking in our customer's shoes. And to do that, the greatest exercise that you can do to do that is um, customer journey mapping. And um, you, you and I both know this, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and if we have time, but... we're going to get into it. And I hope we do have time just to spend a I... moment or two on that. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll jump on to uh, 
uh, from there on to number five because it uh, it ties back to number four a little bit. Um, the sin number five is not acting on what your customers tell you. So in num- the fourth sin was not listening to them and understanding them. But an even worse sin is is if you do listen, if you do get the feedback, not doing anything with it, right? Um, that is just um, – I mean, what's the point of listening? What's the point of this? You're not going to be able to improve the experience if you don't act on what your customers are telling you. And I think a bigger problem that companies are guilty of is deciding what they think is right for the customer rather than listening to what the customer right. is telling them. And that's what number numbers four and five are actually about. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number six. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Number six. No, no, no. Go ahead. That's, that's fine. We'll, we'll just keep moving. Number six is... This is one that continues to amaze me. (laughs) It is about making the employee and the employee experience an afterthought. Um, There is so much research and so much out there around the connection, the linkage between the employee experience and the customer experience. And it seems so obvious, you know, the employee is the one who has to deliver the customer experience. And if the, the employee's having a bad experience as an employee of your company, if they're not happy, if they're not engaged, if they're not satisfied, if they're not, you know, all of these things, they don't have the right tools, they, they, you know, having a bad day because their manager, whatever, you know, whatever it is, if the employee's having a bad experience, it's going to be reflected on the, de- the um, delivery of the experience to their customers. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Um, and what's happening on the inside of the company is going to be felt by the customer on the outside. And some companies just don't get it. They don't get You know, and it's funny because I've been talking to clients about this since, you know, in my early days in, in this space, um, when I was at J.D. Power & Associates 25 years ago, and uh, companies back then, and they still say it today, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll focus on employees later. We'll, we just want to listen to customers right now, and it's, you just want to bang your head against the wall and, and try to figure out why aren't they making that connection. So if you go to, uh, I believe it's called glassdoor.com, you'll yep, see what yep. employees say about their leadership. And if you look at what the best top-rated companies are, publicly held companies, and then you go over and look at these big companies uh, and you look at the ratings they have on the American Customer Satisfaction Index, you will find a direct correlation to high ratings that employees give their company's leadership and high ratings to what customers give their companies when it comes to great service. Imagine that. You know? I know. I know. All it's right. crazy. It's crazy, but it's true. There's there's proof there, so mm-hmm. you ought to start listening. So it brings us to number seven, the final deadly All sin. Right. The final one is is uh, perpetuating this inside-out thinking. The And inside-out thinking is really that, you know, something you mentioned earlier, you know, that companies think they know what's best for their customers. Um, all the decisions that are made are based sort of on internal thinking and intuition and what we've, what we've always done before. We think that, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Um, Same thing you know. over and over again and expecting a different result. Yep, exactly. So, so that's inside-out thinking. What we really want companies to be doing is using outside-in thinking, and that really means that what the business is doing is bringing the customer's perspective into every decision that they make and always making sure that 
you know, again, um, Amazon example, having a chair in the room in the meeting for the customer, that there's always somebody in the room who's representing the customer and the customer's voice. And to your point, we're not always going to do everything that the customer tells us, but we're going to take it into consideration and we're going to, we're going to figure out what the best decision is based on what's best for the customer. Um, so that's, so that's outside in thinking and, um, and it, you know, in a nutshell, we do what's best for the customer because we've heard from the customer. We understand our customers. All right. So now we have the seven deadly sins. And what I want to wrap up with, because we don't have a lot of time, but we do have just a couple of minutes where we can talk okay. a little bit about that customer experience journey mapping. And yep. to me, and I told you this before we jumped on, I think that you're one of the experts. And if you're going to do anything with journey mapping, if you haven't done it, or even if you have done it, you need to listen to what Annette Franz has to say. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. My face is red again. So. Oh, so let's make it easy. Give us your quick top three tips uh, when it All comes right. to customer journey mapping. Okay. First, first tip is do it. <laughs> okay. That's a good tip. Yeah. You know what? What should we do first? Decide to make a journey map. <laughs> You know, and I laugh because, you know, here's the really cool thing is that this is a topic that has actually taken hold in the last year. This was this conversation would have been way more challenging two years ago because people would be scratching their heads going, what? What is journey mapping? Why is that important? Why do I need to do that? But, um, yeah, obviously the first decision to make is to um, ensure that it is um, something that is in your, your toolbox for transforming the customer experience. It's a, it's a must have. It's like the number one tool, I think, because it, you can take what you see in or in here in your journey maps and, and following that journey and share it with the organization. Um, a couple of th- different things here. Number one, have executives sit in on those journey mapping um, workshops and sessions. And that's a real eye opener for the executives and, and, and anybody in the organization to say, wow, we make our customers go through all of that just to, you know, call support or, or to do this or to do that. The other thing that in this conversation that I've had with, with several people over the last week or two is the journey maps, you know, a couple of different angles. I, oh man, like I could talk about this forever, right? But a couple of different angles. Um, it, it helps. Most people think that when it comes to the customer experience, the only people that matter are the front line. Right, right. But Here the, we go. This journey, is important. <laughs> but what the journey map does is it, it helps the back office and the people who aren't on the front line understand how they impact the experience as well, right? So for example, I'm the person in the billing office who has designed the invoice. I don't interact with with the customer face-to-face or anything like that, but I'm the one who's designed that document that people cannot read and do not understand, right? And so putting that journey map together and showing the folks who are in billing how painful they've made that whole process for, you know, for and, and the document and how to pay and how to call and how, you know all of these things all the information on that little piece of paper um, is a real eye-opener for folks as well right so at the, the top other- you have that that touch point and that's the actual interaction the customer has with the company and behind it you have what i call impact points and you even use the word what makes impact to the front line so i know we've that's still right. got two more tips and we're running out of time but i don't want you to lose your train of thought so finish it up there was another oh, point or two you there was one to more point this. on this yes. one mm-hmm. yeah on this one is that the other 
really important learning is that let's say I'm calling customer support. Most people think that if you're calling support and there's an issue with support, it all lies on support. When you map the journey, you don't sit there in a room just with the support team. You sit there in the room with a cross-functional team um, because what ends up happening is people start to learn, hey, it's the problem isn't just with support. The problem might be with the product. The problem, problem might be with sales who sold something that or with marketing who put messaging out there that the product does X, Y, and Z, but it only does A, B, and C. So that's a huge learning opportunity there for the entire organization to learn how they impact the experience. And in this one, the important message is that they learn that it's not just support who's who's impacting the support experience for the customer. It's other, um, other departments upstream or downstream, however you want to look at it, <laughs> mm-hmm. who have now um, created the issue that it has led to that call to support. So Great. So we're in the lightning um, round, uh, 20 seconds each coming up. We have number two and three. Okay, right. I'll give you 25 uh, seconds. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Number two is always bring the voice of the customer into the into the map. So we like to do, again, it's that perpetuating that inside-out thinking. We want to make sure that when we map, we map from the customer's perspective, always map from the customer's perspective. And even if we start with an, an internally built assumptive map, we need to go out and validate our assumptions with our customers always. Right. Um, so you're really, you're, uh, we're back to that p- uh, number four, number five in your list about not listening or not acting on what they actually tell you. That's right. That's right. And your um, third, uh, third big tip. My third big tip on is to when you're when you're mapping is to bring in data and artifacts and and w- pictures and videos and whatever else you need to bring that map to life. When you bring that map to life at each of the you know if, whether you're using post-it notes or a digital tool to to build your maps, it helps to, people to understand too what's happening at that touch point. So if you bring in a call recording from that support map we just talked about, right? If you bring in a call recording, people can listen to it and say, ah, okay, we see what the customer's experience are. Ah, we see what the problem was. Or, oh, it just, it just starts to bring the experience to life. We like to bring in snapshots of the website, you know, the steps that the customer took to submit that support issue. You know, okay, oh, man, we make them go through seven clicks just to, just to you know, submit an issue, that kind of thing. So adding those kinds of artifacts to your map are um, really important to help bring that uh, bring that journey to life for the for the people who are a building it and b um, then we'll have to consume it awesome well in the last almost 25 minutes you have given us a huge huge amount of (laughs) amount of content here you've got your seven deadly sins we've talked about journey mapping so uh, annette thank you so much Everybody, if you're listening, www.cx-journey.com. One of the top customer experience and customer service blogs that you will read and hopefully subscribe to. Annette, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And and I always enjoy following your blog and and listening to your podcasts and your videos. So thank you for everything that you do for for this uh, uh, space as well. Oh, wow. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, this is Shep Hyken. We're signing off. We've been talking with Annette Franz, who's the VP of Client Experience at Compellin. But more than anything, she is the go-to expert when it comes to journey mapping and understanding the customer experience. Thanks, Annette, for joining us. This is Shep Hyken reminding everybody to always be amazing.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.